to this Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Episode number 44. Okay, so this really is going to be the last part in this macro photography series for now. Although, as I said before, I'll probably follow up with more later as I gain experience in this complex subject. In the first part, we touched on some macro terminology and some basic problems and solutions. In part two, we discussed going larger than life or larger than life size and the difficulties that it imposes on us. If you haven't already listened to these, you might want to go back uh, to listen at least to part two before listening to today's episode, as what I'll say today is in direct relation to that episode. If you aren't already familiar with uh, life-size shooting uh, or what life-size or one-to-one means, uh, or other terms like a minimum uh, focusing distance and working distance, I suggest you step back to part one, which is episode 42, and brush up on some of these uh, terms and some other basic macro techniques as well. I'd say that at least a small number of listeners were probably scared away by all of the technical details and plain scariness of larger-than-life-size macro photography uh, by the end of part two. Hopefully not, but maybe even some of the uh, listeners have cancelled their iTunes subscriptions and are now uh, feeling all nice and cosy listening to some podcast uh, for the faint-hearted. For you masochistic diehards, though, that are still uh, tuned in, welcome to the Inner Circle. Let's talk about how to get around some of the difficulties we've uh, talked about in recent weeks. There are only a certain number of solutions to a lot of the problems, though. Some problems, such as incredibly shallow depth of field, are governed by the laws of physics and uh, simply cannot be overcome. We just have to make the most of what we have and often turn them into positive things. So, as I said last week, there are various methods to shoot at larger magnifications than life-size, but I chose the Canon MPE 65mm f2.8 1-5x lens, which will go, as the name says, up to 5 times magnification. The first issue I found with uh, larger-than-life-size photography is focusing. The marketing material in the manual for the MPE 65mm lens states clearly that due to the difficulties in focusing this lens, uh, you're recommended to use a focusing rail. In image number 1021, you'll see a closer view of the really right stuff focusing rail uh, than the one that we looked at in the shot of my gear from last week. We'll be looking at that shot again as well later. The first few months that I owned this lens, I didn't have a focusing rail. And without one, you have to either move the tripod closer or further away uh, from the subject or actually move the camera itself. I have collars on my macro lenses fitted with Wimberley Arca Swiss compatible lens plates. So... Uh, What that allows me to do is to loosen the fastening nut on the quick shoe and then slide the lens backwards and forwards uh, and therefore obviously start moving the camera back and forth in the quick shoe. 
But when we're talking about depth of field of less than a millimeter for anything larger than life size with this lens, uh, this is hit and miss at best. And if you're crouching or kneeling down, uh, and sometimes like on hard uh, surfaces or in, uneven surfaces, it can soon become a painful experience too. I spent a lot of time trying to uh, find a focusing rail that would allow me to attach the camera to the focusing rail with the lens collars and plates. And the only one I found that uh, does this is the B150B uh, package uh, for collared lenses from Really Right Stuff. If you would attach your camera to the uh, focusing rail directly, uh, not using the a macro lens collar, then you would only really need the B150B uh, macro focusing rail. But the advantage of the full package, uh, the advantage that it has over the um, you know, just the basic macro rail is that you can also now move the camera side to side as well as back to, uh, back and forth. So you can make slight uh, compositional adjustments as well. I'll put a link to the really right stuff focusing rails in the show notes. Once you have the camera mounted on a focusing rail, you just turn one of the nuts uh, on either the front or the back of the focusing rail to move the camera back and forth. This allows for incredibly accurate focusing. If you want to zoom in or out a little uh, by increasing or decreasing the magnification, you can do this to a certain extent without moving the camera, just refocusing with the focusing rail. It soon goes uh, quite a way out of focus though, so I find that the best thing to do uh, when changing magnification is to change it to roughly where you think you want to be and then slide the whole rail uh, in the quick shoe on the tripod head and then refocus with the focusing rail. There are balance problems if you move it uh, too far either way in the tripod head, but basically the whole bottom of the 15 centimeter focusing rail is an Arca Swiss plate, so you have a lot of room to maneuver. Once you have the composition close again, you can start to you know, like I said, to change the focus, fine-tune the focus uh, by rotating the nuts on the front and back of the focusing rail. The two parts of the focusing rail are connected by a quick-release shoe. So to move the camera sideways, you just move the lever to the center position, slide it around, and then retighten the lever. If you have the quick-release lever uh, only half undone, the camera won't slide out of the focusing rail thanks to the stopper screws protruding from the bottom of each side of the plate. One other advantage to this system is that if you do undo the uh, quick-release lever fully, you can remove the camera with the top part of the focusing rail fully and then you know, basically just take the, take the camera off totally which is good for when you're walking around um, from location to location. If you leave the whole thing connected while walking around, it can be quite cumbersome and probably puts a fair amount of stress on uh, some of the components as well. One other aspect of shooting with such uh, shallow depth of fields is paralleling your subject. To illustrate what I mean, let's take a look at image number 986. This was, in some respects, just a practice shot, but I kind of like it. I have a potted geranium plant uh, on the balcony of my Tokyo apartment and was photographing it uh, for the rainy days assignment a few weeks ago. Uh, 
I didn't uh, yet have the focusing rail, but the focusing rail wouldn't really help with paralleling anyway. If you take a look at this shot, uh, which by the way was made again at f8 with four times magnification for one second at uh, ISO 400, you'll see that the only parts of the shot that are in sharp focus are the red starfish shaped stamen, uh, a part of the petal just right of the center in the top, and the tip of a green leaf on the right side of the image. My goal here was to get the stamen and the tip of the green leaf in focus. Again, the sharp drop-off in focus was going to be drastic, and if the tip had not been sharp, uh, the focus you know, would have been distracting, especially with less interesting parts of the image sharp. The thing that was uh, working for me here was that the plant is potted. I simply picked it up, put it on some newspaper on a counter in my kitchen and then stood my tripod with one leg extended to the floor and two other legs contracted and opened up wide, uh, as wide as they'd go, uh, and then placed either side of the subject. Then once I got the composition just right, I could fine-tune the positioning uh, of the, sub the subject uh, by uh, not only moving the plant back and forth and side to side, but also by rotating it. After a lot of trial and error, both of different compositions and then this, uh, I got a few shots that I liked. By the way, the uh, rest of the flower had rain on the petals, and that is why I was shooting it for the rainy days assignment. So basically, I had the freedom here to move the subject uh, to get the parts of the image that I wanted to focus on parallel. Uh, if you are in the field, though, you really uh, just have to keep on moving your position, uh, moving the tripod, um, and then carefully checking the focus. Maybe also using the depth of field preview button on your camera to ensure that the subjects uh, that you want in focus are in focus. Let's look at image number 964 to see an example of possibly how not to do this. In this image, I had three flowers and did not parallel them. I like the image as it is, uh, because it keeps the focus on the one flower head initially, and then the others are in focus enough to grab your attention for a while. These subjects were shot at uh, around 20 centimeters, perhaps a little more, uh, with a 100mm lens, uh, not the 65mm lens. So this is obviously uh, not going to be life-size or larger either. Because of the distance to the subjects though, I was going to need a wide aperture to throw the surroundings out of focus. So I left the lens wide open at f2.8. This gave me a shutter speed of 1 320th of a second at ISO 100, as it was a bright spring morning. I also uh, compensated the exposure by minus one stop, uh, to stop the whites in the uh, blue flowers from overexposing. The thing I regretted with this shot is uh, that I didn't try to parallel uh, it at all. So although I'm quite happy with the results, the fact that I didn't try is kind of uh, haunting me a little bit. I did shoot some shots with smaller aperture and a deeper depth of field, in which all of the three flowers are in focus, but in that shot, you know, the other shots, the much of the rest of the scene is also in focus and therefore quite distracting. I don't know if it would have uh, been 
impossible to have paralleled these three flowers anyway, uh, as I I suspect that they are not all sitting in a line. And if I could have uh, only gotten two of them in focus, uh, I'd might I'd probably have just preferred this one anyway. Basically, though, I I regret this shot uh, because I I didn't really have time uh, to try any more than uh, than what I got. So I'll never know if I could have paralleled the flowers anyway. Uh, but you know, I I just re- wish I'd had more time to try and get a better image. So in this case, uh, we we can probably take this as an example of how not to do it, even if, like me, uh, you like this particular shot as it is. We learn by our mistakes, I guess. In the next shot, number 963, although I did parallel the uh, two flowers and consciously placed them uh, with the water droplets in the bottom right at the uh, a similar distance from the camera, I had selected an aperture of f22 to get as much of the scene in focus as possible. The shutter speed was half a second, again at ISO 100. I felt that there was uh, so many objects of interest in this shot that I'd go with a deep depth of field, Uh, but to be honest, I'm not all that fond of macro images like this. It's nice to see all the details, but I prefer to see the uh, shallow depth of field to make the main subject stand out and increase that uh, dreamy effect. Still, if you don't mind shots like this, increasing depth of field takes the pressure off you for precise paralleling, uh, which is the reason that I'm introducing this shot today, really. Having learned by my possible mistake with the common field speedwell, the blue flowers uh, that we looked at earlier, I do pay more attention to getting my subjects parallel now. This is uh, much easier too when you are alone and aren't keeping someone waiting. I must admit that although I prefer to be with my better half when I'm out and about, when shooting macro or any subjects that uh, need time uh, to be taken to get them right, being alone is definitely an advantage. The next shot was um, made during a slow few hours in a park near my apartment a few weekends ago on June 17th, 2006. Let's take a look at image number 1024. On the way into the park I noticed this group of flowers but I was going to shoot them with my 100mm macro so I kept them in mind and went into the park as I wanted to uh, practice using my 65mm lens with the focusing rail. On the way out of the park I returned to the same spot and found the same group of uh, flowers and spent plenty of time shooting them Uh, holding them steady with the Wimbley plant that I've uh, mentioned in the past. This shot too was made at f2.8 at uh, 125th of a second at ISO 200. You can see how I've paralleled this shot, focusing on the front part of the yellow centres of the two flowers. For more visual confirmation at this size, you can see the sharp white petals uh, on either side uh, of the the flowers, about one third into each flower. Again, I've used a wide aperture to throw the rest of the image out of focus. This reduces the other elements of the image, um, apart from the unopened bud uh, in the foreground, uh, to blotches of colour. Even uh, 
though you can see them, they're, they're enough to grab your attention, um, but not really um, so much that it's a distraction from the main subject. One other main issue when shooting macro outside, especially at large magnifications, uh, or magnifications larger than uh, life size, is that even the slightest breeze can cause subject blur in your images. I said that I had used the Macro uh, Twinlight MT24EX flash unit from Canon to light uh, the first shot in part 2, but I also used it for this shot. Take a look at image number 1022 uh, from part 2 again. The MT24EX can be seen attached to the flash shoe of my 5D in the shot of the, the gear, with the actual flash heads attached to an adapter on the front of the lens. You can also use the Canon Macro Ring Light MR14EX uh, with this lens, and doing so will allow you to get a fast enough shutter speed to eliminate blur caused by subject movement. It also uh, could really just not be easier, as all you have to do is attach the twin light, angle the flash heads to point at your subject, and set the camera to manual. I usually find that uh, I set the flash exposure to around, um, or the flash exposure compensation, to around uh, minus two-thirds, as I did with this uh, first shot uh, today. Once you've done that, this camera gives you one burst of flash when you press the shutter uh, if you're using the mirror up uh, function and then that basically is used to get an accurate meter reading and then you, when you finally release the shutter the flash fires again for the second exposure. I usually set uh, between one hundredth of a second and two hundredth of a second for the shutter speed depending on how much breeze there is and uh, I, I generally find that uh, one two hundredth works best, especially if you're trying to handhold. The thing that you will find though is that the faster the shutter speed, the more your exposure will depend on light from the flash, and the background will fall into total darkness. Sometimes uh, I prefer a totally dark background as it removes any distractions um, as with the, the top left of the first shot we looked at last week. Sometimes though I use a second flash to eliminate uh, the, uh, the background and this is what I did in this last shot of the daisies. Although there's a dark patch on the far right of this image, the background is fairly well lit and the image overall looks like it was shot on a nice bright day in full sunlight. The reality is that the shot was um, made in twilight after the sun had dropped below the horizon and there was very little available light left. A few minutes after shooting this image, uh, I spent maybe 10 minutes uh, packing my gear away into my backpack before starting the uh, 10 minute walk home, but it was pretty much totally dark by the time I got back to my apartment. I only own one more flash unit, uh, and that is the 550EX. Both the MT24EX Twinlight and the 550EX have built-in wireless transmitters, and the 550EX can be set up as a slave to the Twinlight, and also to the Ringlight, allowing the 550 to be fired wirelessly uh, as long as 
its receiver is in the line of sight of the twin light or the ring light. You just need to ensure that both the twin light and the 550 are set up to use the same channel. By default they should both be set up to use channel 1 and there is not really any need to change this. The two flash tubes on the twin light or ring light are called A and B and then the slave is set up automatically um, to become C. Once the twin light uh, can see the slave, which can incidentally be a 580X as well as the 550X, uh, all you have to do is press the ratio button on the twin light. Uh, you will then toggle through the um, off state, just the ratio of light between uh, A and B, which allows you to make one flash tube stronger than the other, or you, will you can turn it off altogether. And then also it'll toggle to the A, B and C. Once C is displayed, you can control the slave's flash exposure compensation uh, from the twin light by using the plus and minus uh, buttons to raise or lower the compensation. This is especially useful if you have set the slave uh, down, you know, you've put it down somewhere uh, to eliminate the background. The manual states that you can place the uh, slave anywhere within 80 degrees of the master or the twin light or ring light and up to 3 meters away outdoors or 5 meters away indoors. You need to turn the head of the, uh, the, tw the 550 or the 580 so that the front of the body of the flash with the receiver on it is facing the twin light. Once the communication is working accurately, uh, the say if you press the pilot button to test the flash on the twin light, you will also fire the slave, um, you know, like I say, once everything's set up and working. One other feature of the twin light that I really like, especially when shooting with the 65mm lens uh, with its inherently small apertures that make everything look quite dark in the finder, is that if you quickly press the shutter button one uh, twice, like kind of like double-clicking a mouse on a computer, the flash tubes will illuminate enough to throw light onto your subject uh, to enable you to see it better for focusing. Without the twin light, at least, I'd say that photography outdoors with the MPE 65mm lens can be uh, very troublesome. In uh, all but the most sheltered areas, simply due to the slightest breeze causing your subject to become blurred. If you recall from last week, the effective apertures are a lot smaller than the aperture number displayed on the camera, so getting enough light into the camera without using flash can be difficult. If you have a standard flash like the 550 or 580, uh, I advise you get used to using it um, as a slave, to light the background as I did in the daisy shot we just looked at. In most situations to now, I've uh, not been able to actually take the flash and place it uh, closer to the background in the, in the scene uh, with the flash itself self out of sight, though this is an option. A few days ago, I actually had a few hours in a local nature research institute and there was uh, no wind for much of the time, though a breeze got up every so often. 
During a calm spell, I was uh, lucky enough to get a couple of shots of a spider eating a wasp hanging from a leaf. One of uh, them was shot without the flash, and the other was uh, shot with the both the twin light and the 550EX trying to light up the background. Let's take a look at the uh, first, the flash lit shot, which is uh, number 1034. This was shot at f16 for one two hundredth of a second at ISO 200. And as I say, using the twin light and the 550EX as a slave pointed at the greenery in the background. You can see though that the background, which was probably about 2.5 metres or 10 feet away, was hardly lit by the slave flash, even though I'd added uh, two stops of exposure compensation for the slave. Now take a look at the second shot, which is number 1033. A uh, shot at f11 for uh, one eighth of a second at ISO 400. Of course, I was using a tripod uh, for both shots, uh, so the slow shutter speed was not going to cause uh, camera shake. But of the, I think I took three exposures of the uh, the the shot without the flash, and this is the only one that was acceptably sharp due to the subject itself moving. You can see in this shot, though, that the greenery in the background has uh, been well exposed and the shot has lost that, that harsh feel that the flashlight gave it. I much prefer the natural soft look of this image, though the white flower in the background itself is annoying. As you know, uh, lenses focus uh, with the aperture wide open, so you have to use the depth of field preview button to stop down enough to see the details in the background uh, when you're going to be shooting with a smaller aperture. With this lens though, lens though, the depth of field is so shallow that I don't think I had any idea that the flower was even there until I looked at the, uh, the image on the preview on the LCD on my camera. By this time though, the park attendant was walking towards me tapping his watch as it was 5 o'clock kicking me out of the uh, park. The next time I use this setup, I'm going to try to use the depth of field preview uh, a little more to avoid this sort of thing. If I remember correctly, when you press the depth of field preview button when using the twin light, it also fires uh, like a, a stroboscopic modeling light onto the subject to allow you to see all of the details at small apertures. Um, don't quote me on this though, as I, I've not checked this uh, today before recording. Back to the dark backgrounds though, uh, there is one other thing that I try to do when using the twin light to avoid getting a, a dark background and that is just to fill the, or as much of the frame as possible um, with stuff like leaves and things um, that are close to the camera. Let's take a look at uh, one last macro shot for today, uh, also from this recent trip to the uh, Nature Research in Institute which is image number 1025. In this shot, made with the macro, uh, the 100mm macro at f4 for 160th of a second at ISO 200, you can see that I was lucky enough to find this bug, uh, which I did not yet have a chance to ID, uh, but it was walking on a bright yellow leaf. As the leaf was going um, to fill the frame, I didn't use a slave, 
just the twin light with the heads positioned to throw light into the shot evenly from both sides and as a result I got this pretty wacky image and with the shallow depth of field that f4 was going to give me at this distance I just focused on the eyes and uh, basically you know you see what I got um, but I was quite pleased with the results. Note that uh, I was hand holding for this shot which is an added bonus of using the twin light. I actually this week shot a few other uh, shots down to double life size while hand holding um, so although I'm, it might not be um, quite possible to, to go much uh, larger than life size uh, or double life size uh, hand holding but the twin light does allow you to get a little bit um, more flexibility than trying to use a, a, the tripod for everything that you do. That's probably more flexibility than I thought I was going to get um, at larger than life size uh, and it, I guess it remains to be seen just how much larger than life uh, I can go and handhold with the with the twin light so I'll update you later as I as I get more information on this of course even in macro photography other lighting techniques are still valid to a certain extent reflectors will help to light the background I guess uh, if you don't have a second flash but I don't know uh, how well this will work it, probably you'll need very bright conditions um, probably bright enough to to not uh, need need to be worrying too much about the brightness of the background anyway. Also note that uh, Nikon do uh, make a very similar flash system to the Canon uh, twin lights and ring lights. In fact, I, I really like the Nikon close-up speed light uh, as it allows multiple flash heads to be attached to the ring. I'm not sure how much more useful this would be than the two that the Canon speed, uh, twin light has. But I do like the innovative design. Sorry to all Nikon users uh, and users of other systems, uh, for that matter, uh, for not covering your gear well. Um, but I, I know that uh, the, the level of uh, the, the users listening to this podcast have the wherewithal to port any maker-specific information that I give to your own systems uh, so that you can still make it useful. One last thing I want to point out before closing is if you go and look at the uh, front of the lens on the image of the equipment that we looked at earlier, you'll see a weird attachment that looks like a chameleon's eye. This is the hood for the uh, the 65mm lens. As it is uh, expected that most of the work with this lens will be done uh, employing the twin light, the light can actually enter very easily enter the front of the lens so um, the the hood is designed to cover as much of the front of the lens as possible to keep out any stray light from the uh, flash so that's about it for macro photography for now some of you will have found this last three episodes heavy going, but I hope that it's been of some use, uh, if not a valuable introduction to some basic uh, techniques and some more advanced macro photography gear and techniques. I also hope that it will encourage some of you uh, that are not yet exploring this uh, whole world that opens up to you once you get yourself a true 
life-size or higher magnification macro lens and enable yourself to see this amazing macrocosm. One piece of housekeeping before we close is that the rainy days assignment uh, voting is now turned on. Thanks very much to those of you that have already voted and if you haven't uh, voted yet, please do. There are again some excellent entries to choose from. Right now there's a small black vote button above the photo when viewed full size in the members gallery and you will be able to change your vote anytime from now until voting ends. I originally announced that voting would be possible until the end of the 9th of July uh, but I, I need to bring this in by a few days until the end of Thursday the 6th of July as I have some plans for the following week and I will not be able to uh, complete the next episode and announce uh, the winner in time if I wait until the 9th. Sorry for the inconvenience caused. Anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.